Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Chris Cornell weighed 278 pounds at age 51 when he realized he had to take action to improve his health. After reading Why We Get Fat by Gary Taubes, he started to understand the benefits of a low-carbohydrate diet, and he got down to a normal weight for the first time in his adult life. Now at age 56, Cornell has maintained an 80-pound weight loss for the better part of two and a half years. Chris is also a cancer survivor whose experiences before, during, and after treatment have given him a changed perspective on life. Cornell is a writer, photographer, and marketing consultant, and is the VP of Digital Marketing at WOW Production Services based in New Rochelle, New York. He has successfully managed public relations, social media, and digital marketing activities for a wide range of clients, including films, advocacy organizations, and medical practices, among others. He particularly enjoys helping spread the word about low-carbohydrate because of his first-hand knowledge of how it can help reverse obesity and improve health. Chris Cornell, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoy your podcast, and I it's an honor to be asked on your show. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Um, for the people that are listening and are not watching, they're not able to see you, they might find it hard to believe that at one point you were 278 pounds. <laughs> you look great. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun journey, um, uh, one that uh, was long overdue, I would say. Uh, for, for decades, I struggled on and off with... Uh, with weight gain and weight loss, and uh, it was it was just uh, revolu- revolutionized my life when I learned how to control my weight, and that's led to a whole uh, domino uh, sequence of events that have uh, helped me in other areas as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Do most people just think you found a time travel machine and just like went backwards, <laughs> reverse aging? Uh, I don't know. It's um, it, it's it's interesting. Um, the I, you know, having found low carb and having uh, found a way to improve my health and uh, my appearance and my quality of life, I've also uh, come in contact with a lot of other people who have experienced some of the same benefits. So hanging out in this group of people, um, I'm, I'm not such an anomaly, actually. Uh, I know in the, um, the general population, uh, it's not quite the same. Yeah, it definitely is not. You look at some of the people that are in our world and like the Mark Sissons and the Brad Kearns and the Sean Bakers, all these people, you know, who are aging, but looking like they're getting younger and younger and younger as the years go on. It's really quite remarkable, especially when you compare it to what, like what you mentioned, the general population, that Delta just keeps getting wider and wider and wider. And it's really apparent when you go out and go to the mall or the airport, like we're, we're not, we're not doing great. <laughs> No, we we are not, and uh, the the some of what I see going on in the uh, the mainstream nutrition and medical fields with respect to the attitudes towards obesity uh, and metabolic disease is kind of disturbing. I think that uh, uh, the average person could you know do a lot more for their health um, just with with lifestyle changes. And I know there's other issues, and there's there's other other solutions that can be a part of that, but um, I definitely don't think that it's appropriate to have people filled with the idea that they are completely helpless and cannot, uh, you know, make changes that will improve their life. And that, that goes for just about every area of your life. There's there's things you can do to take control and, and improve your situation. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And on that note, don't you believe that it would be easier than most people think? Not that it's going to be super easy, but if people realized the simple things that they could do, that it wouldn't be as big of a pain or the reward would be far greater than what people think it might be. Yes. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, I, uh, using, using the wrong information, uh, some things are, are literally impossible to solve. Um, and I, I was always the kind of person that tried to figure things out on my own. And, uh, you know, that worked for certain things. You know, I learned how to replace pipes in my kitchen. I re I learned how to do some minor electrical work. Um, but you know, I also, you know, when I didn't know how to do something, I, I would typically, uh, just for my own safety, ask someone for some help and some guidance to try to avoid the problems, um, with weight loss. You know, I was literally just following the wrong information. You know, it's like uh, I restrict calories and exercise more sounds great. Um, and there's some small bits of truth to that. But without um, additional knowledge, a lot of people just find themselves on a, uh, you know, a, a 
endless cycle of losing weight and gaining weight. And, uh, and then when I finally, one day in uh, January of 2018, reached out to a friend who I, I knew had some knowledge and I asked for a recommendation for a book and he came back with uh, Tobbs's Why We Get Fat. Uh, that single book was the catalyst that got me going on this journey and, uh, and led me to a whole bunch of other things. But the change was almost instantaneous. Um, it, it happened... I was in the waiting the waiting area of a Mexican restaurant um, on my daughter my daughter's 16th birthday, and I was reading on a Kindle uh, that that book by Tobbs, and all of a sudden you know a light went off or on and it just it, I just said wait a second I I think I understand this and I changed what I ordered at dinner that night and I literally never looked back um, wow. you know I lost I, I lost weight consistently uh, with with really almost no exceptions. Uh, I've had no, no relapses. You know, I've had a couple of bad days, but, uh, you know, it's been, it's been, uh, unbelievable. Um, so, I, you know, I'm down 80 pounds. It's, it's, it's now, um, I'm just about at four years of being at my goal weight at or below 205 pounds. Um, oh, and, and I've actually added, I've probably added a bunch of muscle, um, from you know when I first got to that goal weight, since then I've, I've my body fat has continued to go down, even though my weight has not. So I'm uh, I'm doing better on just about every count. Yeah, that's amazing, and it's so obvious to see when you see the pictures and and you know what you're doing. You're running a lot. You're doing a lot of weightlifting, but it, but when you look at your physical appearance, like it's it's totally apparent that you have completely recompositioned your body, and it's amazing that we can do that at really any age. It just it, it requires the right information. When we're when we're talking about your story, let's back up a bit and talk about your your journey into unhealth. Uh, tell us, you know, some of the things that that you noticed, um, not only the weight gain, but also other things that kind of went along with that, and what things you tried along the way before you got that great book recommendation? Well, um, you know, I've, I've, I went up and down in weight quite a bit uh, ever since. Even, you know, towards the end of my last couple of years of college, I, I, I was gaining a few pounds. I was not obese by any stretch. Um, I was very active and, but I was slowly, you know, gaining weight. I, I really never was at um, what they call a healthy weight. Um, uh, but after I got out of college, I had a lot of, uh, work, a lot of jobs that required sitting at a desk for long hours. And, you know, within two years of being out of college, I got up to like a 40 inch waist size and, um, you know, my weight was creeping up over 230. and, uh, you know, it's hard to remember exactly the, the you know, the, the sequence, but over the years, you know, I would, I would lose 10 pounds and gain 15 pounds and, and before I, you know, before long, um, you know, I was up over 250 and then, uh, in my late forties, it just kept climbing. And, uh, um, I, and, and then there was a long time when I never stepped on a scale. So I didn't really realize how heavy I'd gotten. And it was one day when I was 51, um, I stepped on a scale at my mother's house and I saw 278 pounds. And I think it's sort of a vicious circle. You know, you, you, you gain the weight you become less likely to enjoy doing some of the things, uh, the, the move more type of things like hiking up a mountain or going for a run becomes less enjoyable. So you spend more time, uh, sitting around, um, and, and certainly the diet wasn't helping me. You know, I, I was eating a lot of, uh, refined carbs and other foods that are not, not good for your, your metabolism. And, I was always stopping at convenience stores and and just eating eating foods that were not uh, not helpful to me, um, and so so even even when I first got to, to that 278 pounds and realized I had to do something, I didn't know what to do. I cut out sh um, sugary drinks and I lost like 15 pounds, but it was still a up and down thing until I found that that book. Um, and ooh, let's see, the reaching out and asking someone for help. Um, was important for a couple of reasons because it it was sort of like making it wasn't a completely public uh, thing, but it was reaching out to someone else who, once I asked for his recommendation, I sort of felt like I had to remain accountable to at least read the book that he recommended for me, and uh, just that alone, you know, reading reading a book and 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 giving it an honest, um, you know 
look into what, what was being talked about. There must be a reason why this guy recommended the book. Um, you know, he chose one book out of many for me. Um, and, and that one principle alone is something I've gone back to many times since. Like if I want to learn something about running um, and I have access to somebody that knows a lot about running, I'll say, hey, uh, you know, like Zach Bitter, the former 100-mile uh, world record holder uh, in the 100-mile run, you know, I, I had a couple of opportunities to talk to him, ask for book recommendation, ask for article recommendations. Same thing with other people like Brady Homer, who has been giving me some coaching along the way um, for my now half marathon training. Uh, these people know infinitely more than I'll ever know about running. Why not tap into their knowledge when you have a chance to ask for some help and, uh, you know, get help get from somebody else, get some ideas to where you should focus your energies. And, and I do that in all areas of my life now. And it's, it's been, it's been very helpful. It's such a great lesson to learn. Why do you think more of us don't do that? Why, why do we think we have all the answers or we just trust the mainstream versus seeking out and finding and, and hiring the experts in the field and, and compensating them fairly for, you know, for that information? I, I feel like most of us would rather, you know, buy uh, the, the sexy meal plan or, you know, buy the sexy workout equipment that's the newest thing on the block versus hiring a coach who knows what they've been doing and they've been in the field for, you know, 20, 30 years. Well, that's a, a great question. And, and for one, I think there is one, one answer to the reason why people don't do that is because they don't know who to ask. Um, it requires some discernment. Um, there are good coaches out there who are well worth every penny that you spend with them. And there's uh, coaches out there that are not good. Um, uh, and if, you know, if you make the, the wrong decision, people are afraid to make the wrong decision. Um, you don't necessarily want to just reach out to um, you know, a sort of uh, somebody that you don't have 100% confidence in and just put your whole life in their hands. So you've got to you've got to balance that. And, uh, you know, finding a good coach would would be would be life changing for a lot of people. It's just how do you do that? And what I've you know, I've, I've learned through Twitter that by getting involved in a community, you ask some questions, you look at the answers, you try to you try to gauge uh, you, you can't tell whether someone's for real just by asking them one question, but if you follow their answers and you read into them and you check them and you verify, um, you can start to get an idea as to who is talking sense and who is not. Um, there's another thing that some people are right about a lot of things and they're wrong about something. You've got to always keep yourself open to that. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, I think I think that's really it. You know, you, you've you've got to find the right people to go to. You've got to make a lot of decisions on your own, and you got to learn to trust some of your instincts. Um, uh, but then you've got to, you know, where when you find someone that you trust, you can start to put more of your um, outcome in their hands. Once you once you feel like they're going to give you good advice, you can start you can really start using that advice to your benefit. Yeah, you made so many really good points there. And I just want to point out, like Twitter specifically, somebody in my neighborhood just put out a tweet. It was about a week ago. It was something about like cardio. Should I be doing cardio? And all of these like answers came through with all these people that had very specific things and why it was great. None of them asked any questions like good for what? What what are your goals? What are you training for? There was it was like definitive. Like here, here's what you have to do. And so to me, that's a great barometer to look at those people and say, like, well, you guys are probably not the people I want to be hiring as a coach versus somebody like you mentioned, Zach Bitter. We just hosted Zach Bitter for the second time. We did an episode all about nutrition for endurance athletes. And the number of times that he said, I don't know, it depends. It, there's so much nuance to it. Zach Bitter is an amazing coach, an amazing human, because he considers all of those things before saying like, yeah, go, go zero carb. And this is your running program. And like, there's so much nuance. And I think that's a really great way to find those good coaches because it can get very confusing out there. Again. Yeah. Again, more, more excellent points. It's, um, I, I mean, you know, I had the opportunity to speak to Zach and, and ask him questions. And he, you know, if you ask, if you ask some people about, can you, can you run effectively and efficiently with a low carb diet? Um, their first answer will be no. And then you look at somebody like Zach and you're like, well, all right, uh, even if 
a low carb diet isn't optimal for every form of exercise. Here's a guy that is setting world records, um, running, run, he's running his 100th mile of a 100 mile race faster than I can run <laughs> one mile. I have faster than I could probably run a half a mile. I could keep get I could meet up with Zach at the 99 and a half mile mark, and I wouldn't be able to keep up with him to the finish if I was fresh. So the guy must know a, a, a couple of things. You know, it's um, it's it, it is you know it's it's mind blowing that uh, some people are so absolute and uh, and lack nuance. Yeah, totally. In that episode that we did with him, we talked about somebody who's in the endurance world more on the female side of things. And she would just come right out and say, you cannot do endurance sports on low carbohydrate and women cannot do intermittent fasting. And it's like, well, you're, you're just closing the door. You're, there's no discussion there. If you say that can't be done, I have clients that are doing it. So first of all, it can be done. And some people might prefer that. And Zach had just a wonderful way of working around that and, and saying like, okay, if you choose to do this, here are some things to be mindful of. And, and and yeah, I, I just think that's a really great way to find the good people who are really going to help you along the way. Yeah, I agree. Let's see. Is there any, anything, any other areas no, no, no. you want to? No, I, 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 that was a great tangent. I do want to go back to your story and I want to go back to the time before you read Taubes. I want to know like in the, in the phases that you felt you were doing really well. Um, maybe you were losing a little bit of weight. What did your life and lifestyle look like? What things did you think like, okay, they told me to move more and eat less. So I'm going to, I'm going to do a, B and C. What did that look like at the times when you were really trying your best? I think you've already told us a little bit about what it was like when you weren't probably not very much exercise and a lot of processed foods, and a lot of refined carbohydrates, but what did it look like before you read Gary Taubes and you wanted to do really well? Uh, well, when I was trying to get, I, I always knew the importance of exercise and, and I, and I knew that, uh, improving my weight would be helpful to me. I, I tried countless different versions of diets. Um, I always had in the back of my mind that calorie restriction was the answer. Um, and you know, I like, uh, it's, it's almost, it's crazy. Like, uh, at, at one point I went, I eliminated red meat from my diet for, for over a decade. Um, and, you know, I never really thought about, um, you know, I just, I just did it. I, I didn't, I didn't read, um, far enough into it. You know, I just, I saw people saying, okay, you know, you can, you can help your health by cutting out red meat. And, um, later on in life, um, I, I at one point I was, uh, diagnosed with a, a, an extreme B12 deficiency, I hadn't hadn't realized that that would become a problem. Um, uh, let's see. I've you know I I experimented cutting. I, I eliminated almost all fat from my diet at certain points. Um, you know a lot of these a lot of these things. I didn't really know where to go for the information. So um, you know I would eliminate fat. I was eating foods that probably were far from optimal. Um, I would lose uh, at one point when I was in my I guess late forties. I lost over 50 pounds. And I was very pleased with myself. I, I was definitely um, getting closer to a healthy weight. I got, I got down to about 205. Um, but unfortunately, I was, um, I was experiencing a lot of negative uh, side effects, including uh, feeling cold, um, losing muscle mass, um, you know, having a, a loss of energy, feeling weak. Um, you know, you know, I was, I was just I was not as strong or healthy as I should have been. Um, and I also had this feeling of complete not being in control. Like I was hungry all the time. I was having cravings. Um, you know, I, I, I basically, when I got down to 205 at that point, um, somewhere close to my, it was somewhere in my late forties. I, um, I ordered some new pants in a size, I think it was size 34 waist. And uh, I, I managed to probably wear wear each of these two pairs of pants like twice before I started gaining the weight back and they didn't fit anymore. So that was the story of, of, of what it was like. And, and then the other, the other thing that I think a lot of people share this experience is I, I viewed exercise as a potential solution to weight loss. And I would exercise with the idea that it was helping me lose weight. Um, and what I've learned is that that's a, a good way of making exercise uh, you, you start to view exercise as some sort of punishment for for your 
for your obesity and that exercise is going to like unlock this problem that you have. But if you're not eating the right foods and you have hunger and cravings, it's just temporary or it's, it's endless. Like, like, yes, you can burn off 2000 calories by running uh, like 10 miles. Um, and okay, that's, that's 10 miles. It takes like for somebody, for somebody who's overweight, that's going to take a couple of hours. And you know, you could, you could eat a bag of donuts that would just about erase all those gains in, in no time. So it just doesn't, doesn't necessarily work. Um, and you know, like, like coming back to where I am today, um, I'm now at a healthy weight. I have a good, um, body composition. I'm strong. I have energy. And when I go out for a run, I literally enjoy the run. I go out three times a week. I leave a day off in between. Sometimes there's two days and I look forward to my next run. I never look forward. I never think about a run as punishment. I think of a run as I usually go running with my wife or, or a friend. And I look at, at exercise as, as a reward. Um, and once you start looking at, at it as, as a fun thing, a thing that you can do with someone else, a thing that is going to, we, my wife and I both talk whenever we go out for a run, it's like we can feel our heads clear. Um, you know, before we get to the first mile mark, it's like, oh, it was a stressful day. Now we're out running on the rail trail at a nice relaxing pace. And, you know, all the troubles just evaporate and you're just all of a sudden it's like you can, you have a different frame of mind and, you know, it's, it doesn't erase all your problems in life, but it, it certainly is a good way to get a reset and feel good about yourself. You, you know, you know, after a 10 mile run, you know, you're like, wow, it's a feeling of accomplishment. It's, it's a, just a totally different perspective to operate within. Um, and if, if you have any other questions about my past diet things, I, I, I tried everything I could imagine. I tried grapefruit diets. I tried, uh, you know, trying to stuff myself with carrots and broccoli. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot of things that didn't work. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, I, I was, was willing to try just about anything. And, uh, and, 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 and I guess what I learned was that figuring out how to control hunger and cravings or how to achieve satiety, um, however you're going to do that. Um, for me, that involved a high protein, low carbohydrate diet. Um, I'm aware that other people can solve their satiety issues with different configurations and that's great. Um, but I think that that addressing that hunger and, and cravings um, so that you don't have to deal with that 24 seven is, is, is really life-changing. It really is. I, I completely agree. And if somebody is just starting to get into the low carbohydrate world, that is my number one priority. The number one place to start is let's get you out of the hunger cycle. Let me feed you as many eggs and steak or whatever that you'll eat until you are not just full, but you're really satiated and you just lose interest in hunger. Because I think most people have gone through those cycles and they never know what it feels like to be fully satiated. And I love that you explained all the different diets that you went on. My favorite one that I ever came across was the new cabbage soup diet, which, which just tells you there's, there must've been an old one that didn't work as well. And the new one is better. Um, but, but you described, you know, two people, two totally different people at 205 pounds. And I'm really glad that you made that distinction. I had the privilege of working on a metabolic cart for over a decade and we would measure people's metabolic rates. And once you did enough of these tests, it got to the point that you could identify somebody's metabolic rate. As soon as you saw them, you would see that they would be weak. They would generally have more weight around the midsection. They might be a little leaner in their arms and legs, but one of the easiest things to tell is they were cold. They were always, always cold. Not only were they hungry and craving things like you mentioned, but that 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 deep coldness, especially in the extremities, the hands and feet. You, somebody could just walk up and you'd be like, okay, I know your metabolic rate is several hundred calories less than what it should be. And, and to the point that you made earlier, yeah, you can jump on a treadmill and you can burn a bunch of calories and be a you know hot, sweaty mess, and that's fine, but that that is doing the opposite effect of what you truly want, which is to teach your body how to burn more calories all the time. So it's so cool that you experienced that the one time by dieting and calorie restricting, but you also got to the same weight in the exact opposite way. You feel really warm. Your energy is good. Um, you, you love to move. Nobody has to tell you to go on runs because you love to move before. Or it would have been a chore like you described. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes I think that 
some people have a hard time um, comprehending what I what I'm talking about and what you're talking about. Um, like last Saturday, my wife and I went out at 9:30 in the morning for a 10 no 11 mile run. I had um, I drank six ounces of salt water when I got up, and I went out for an 11 mile run. Um, so fasted on six ounces of salt water. And when I got back, I, I, I drank, so I drank water to replenish, but I wasn't even thirsty. And, and I, I wasn't hungry for, for hours after I got back and the old me, um, you know, I couldn't mow the lawn without coming in for a snack. Um, you know, like every half hour, every, you know, for, for like two bottles of Gatorade, um, the body is a remarkable machine and you can, you can, you can, you can repair it. You're, it wants to repair itself if you give it the, the right options. Um, and it's, it's just, it, it, it's, it's made me aware of all of the things that I haven't yet tapped into, you know, like, uh, like the idea of me running 11 miles, um, a few years ago would have been absolutely outlandish, pr preposterous. And, and now I, not only do I do it, but I have fun when I'm doing it. That's, that's, it's beyond my comprehension. I mean, it's like, I, I gotta, I, I thank a lot of the people like, like Zach and like uh, Brady Homer, who, who have given me um, insight and advice on, on how to do it. Um, but part of it is just, you know, getting yourself to a healthy state where, where you know you can you can do that kind of thing where you don't have these these limiters that that prevent you from from expending energy and uh, being an efficient machine yeah, I totally agree. I agree with all that. I think the human body is so good at, at doing that repair. Um, and, and yeah, it, uh, the ability to thrive without so many external outputs, the bike rides I used to go on with all the calories I had to pack. Now I don't even take a water bottle with me. Same as you, it could be a hundred degrees outside and you just don't, you don't need it nearly as much, which is amazing. Um, I want to go back to you reading Gary Tobbs and, and some of the concepts that really like blew your mind. Do you remember some of the things that you were learning and reading about that maybe seemed like completely outlandish at first, but over time, as you described, it kind of made more sense. Well, I'll confess one thing, and, and that's that I'm not a scientist, as you probably are aware. And I, I don't, um, at the time, especially, I, I didn't bog myself down too much with trying to understand the science, which, which may have been to my benefit. Um, some of the things that he 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 explained some things in a convincing way that by eliminating refined carbohydrates and 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 a large percentage of your carbohydrates overall that you that your body would uh you know not that it would be it would stop the cycle of demanding more and um and he explained you know he talked about satiety and I, I wish I could remember exactly why I believed it, but I, I got to this point where I just, maybe it was, maybe it was a little bit out of desperation. I, I was like, you know what? I've tried, I've tried diets by vegans. I've tried diets by, you know, plant-based, different plant-based doctors. Um, I've never tried this one before. Um, oh, by the way, you know, I had a good friend recommend the, the Atkins diet um, about 11 years earlier. And I dismissed it out of hand as ridiculous. Um, and I, I was remembering that and, and I was like, you know, maybe, maybe Jim had a point there with that Atkins diet. Um, so I just, I just got to this point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to believe that this diet is going to work. And I think that's also important. I mean, obviously if you believe in something that doesn't work, it may probably won't work, but, um, if you try to do a diet and you don't believe it, uh, you, you probably are also going to shortchange yourself. Um, so, so I, I just, it, something about what he said made sense. Um, I, I, I did understand, you know, I, I was, I, I had a real bad craving for refined carbs, um, uh, candy, sugar. Um, I never had a real intense craving for fats. Um, and I think, you know, some people have a different 
makeup or whatever, their cravings are different. But for me, I could eat um, all of the fat-free candies, um, pretzels, which basically have no fat, um, bread. A lot of the breads that I ate had zero fat. Um, I could eat bread without butter. I could eat, um, you know, totally a low-fat diet and still gain weight because, um, uh, you know, that's just the way I was. So so anyway, I, I don't know if I answered your question properly, but the the idea that that um that by getting rid of the carbs would allow me to fill up with things that would provide better satiety um i've since you know also i guess because i was never um a never a, a, an addict to fat early on in the diet i never went like whole hog keto i never started adding butter to my coffee i never um I never went super high fat, which, um, and I heard, you know, some of the doctors like with Ted Naiman and uh, Dr. Trocolagian um, and, and several others, you know, talked about the fact that you could overdo fat and that just eating fat and protein wouldn't necessarily be the solution for everybody. So um, I think, uh, and I just never had a, I, I was never prone to overeating fat. So so eating the protein and the carb and the I'm sorry protein and the the um, more moderate fat uh, provided excellent satiety for me. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's funny as you were saying like why you decided to try this. I'm thinking about George Costanza doing the opposite. Like everything in his life wasn't working out so great, so he just decides to try the opposite for the hell of it, and everything works. <laughs> I think a lot of people have tried, you know, following that standard advice, and it never worked for them. And this is at least an alternative. It's at least it's something different that you maybe haven't heard of that could provide benefit. And so in that sense, I think it, it it's alluring for people to be able to try to hopefully move the needle. Um, knowing your story, knowing how you lost the weight, you did it in a very moderate way and you didn't go, you know, like you said, full keto or zero carbohydrate or carnivore. Um, can you talk about the benefit of, of, you know, pacing yourself really well? Like once you started seeing the benefits of going low carbohydrate, you decided to be that more moderate. What, what do you think was the benefit of that? Well, very early on within, within a week or two of, of starting the diet. And I, I started feeling like I was losing weight slowly, but I also felt an incredible sense of control um, and confidence. And probably within a month, I was like, you know what? I am in no rush. Um, I have figured something out here with help of others, um, a way that I'm going to lose this weight and I'm going to lose like five pounds a month until I get to my goal weight. Um, that right there is a mindset that I've sort of adopted for everything um, to my benefit now um, with running, with weightlifting, uh, with other areas of life. Like if you can figure out a way to gain 5% um, improvement each month, or even if it's 1% improvement each month, if you keep doing that, eventually you're going to get to your goal. And the stress um, kind of vanishes because in the old days, when you, I was trying to lose weight, it felt like I wasn't in control. Um, I felt like I, I was going to lose control and that it was all going to go back. So there became an urgency to like lose more faster because there was a fear that it wasn't going to remain. It was going to stay. Once that goes away, you, you, you know, you have this piece that, okay, you know, like, what am I in a rush for? Like, like with my running, I'm trying to get ready for a half marathon in October and it's only June and, or a July. And I've, I've, I ran 11 miles last week. Um, I, I'm going to be there. I'm going to make, it's going to work. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. I don't need to run 15 miles tomorrow. I just have to be ready for my half marathon. Um, so it's, it's like just a, a little bit of improvement. So, so anyway, the, um, I wanted to touch, I wanted to touch on one thing that I learned kind of early on with respect to the, the moderation and the um, kind of getting a, a sense of control over what I was doing. I noticed as I started having success that people would ask me, what are you doing? And I realized, and a lot of this was on Twitter, I realized that I, in order to answer their question, I would always have to stop and think about what actually I was doing. And I would sometimes, you know, sort of write a long multi um, 
you know, a, a th- like a couple of tweets explaining what I was doing. And I realized that I was going through this process over and over again. And sometimes my answers would be a little different than the previous time. And all of a sudden I was like, you know what, I should be able to summarize what I do um, like on an index card. And I actually did that. I set up, um, I made a list of my rules and I told myself that this is a, uh, you know, an ongoing set of rules, but that at any given time, I could literally just pull this card out of my wallet and look at it, five, five bullet points and um, tell anybody what I'm doing. But I also, at the same time, know for myself, you know, like I have a way of holding myself accountable. And so basically the rules I set up for my nutrition were I don't eat after 9 p.m. I don't eat before noon. I eat more than 200 grams of protein per day. I eat between 50 and 90 grams of carbs per day. And I avoid most added sugar, seed oils, and grains. Those are basically five bullet points. And then I added one sixth bullet point um, later on. It just said, I keep a supply of protein-rich, highly satiating foods available at all times. Um, And that's it. That's my whole plan in a nutshell. And I, re, you know, I look at it at least every week or so just to say, am I still on the plan? Am I doing it properly? And is there any adjustments that need to be made? And I really haven't had to adjust it much um, in quite some time, but I'm always open to the idea of making an adjustment. And, um, and, I, and other people have, you know, over the, over the last couple of years that I've been sharing this, um, a lot of people have made their own rules some of them modeling it after mine, but um, I've been very impressed with the creativity that I've seen. You know, I always tell people don't follow my rules, but you should be able to articulate what are your rules. Um, And then my basic thought on the rules is either they're going to work or there's going to be, it's going to, if they don't work, it's going to be because of one of two problems. And one is you're not following them. And two is there's something wrong with them. And so if, if you're not following them, that's an easy fix. Um, you, you know, if there's a reason why you can't follow them, then you're going to have to adjust them. But maybe you're just not sticking with the plan. You know, if you want to succeed, you've got to stick with the plan. Um, and then if there's something about the rules that aren't working, fix them. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you brought that up. That was something I was going to ask you about your rules. And so when you're when you're helping other people, do you use those rules as like a starting point for somebody? Obviously, they can kind of calibrate it and, and change things themselves. But do you believe that that would be a good starting place for most people? Well, first of all, you know, I, I don't I don't give advice. I you know, my work is in digital marketing and uh, consulting um, and uh, I just like helping people. So I always try to make it clear that those are my rules. I, I will say that the, um, the intermittent fasting um, or the, the time-restricted eating, uh, not eating after nine and uh, not eating before noon is something that didn't really, I didn't really discover that until I was about, I think like six months into this, I discovered that I just naturally was no longer hungry in the morning when I woke up after eating a protein-rich dinner um, the night before. So I personally would not start with fasting as the first lever, um, but it's a very uh, useful lever for a lot of people once they're eating right. And I'm not an expert on fasting um, beyond what I know works for me. Um, So I would say try to work on getting your diet dialed in um, and then see if if perhaps... um, you know, leaving a window provides some benefit to you. I mean, I get criticized a lot by people who tell me fasting is not optimal for resistance training or fasting is not optimal for running. And my response is more like uh, time-restricted eating is optimal for me to maintain my 80-pound weight loss. And my 80-pound weight loss is extremely beneficial for my running program. So the the um the maintaining my weight loss definitely trumps any thought of trying to become an olympic runner which is never going to happen for me so uh you know i'm happy with what i've got and that's that comes back to the whole concept of nuance i mean like i uh, i'm not concerned with uh you know 
hitting some sort of, I, I, I still, I do a lot of resistance training. I can still at age 58 bench press 300 pounds. Um, I, I can, you know, I can do 14 or 15 pull-ups, um, you know, things that I feel really good about, but I'm not ever going to compete in a powerlifting contest. And, uh, I really, and I'm not going to compete. I, I enjoy running in, in road races, but I'm competing with only one person and that's myself. Yeah. I love that perspective. And I will agree with you a hundred percent being in the fasted state seems like it would be really catabolic to muscle tissue. Um, it seems like you'd be really weak when you go into the gym to lift weights. It also seems like you would have no energy when you're doing endurance sport. And I have found across the board, that is 100% not true. Some of the best lifts I've ever seen my clients do have been in the fasted state and some of them days, days long fasted coming into the gym and PRing a, a 300 pound deadlift. I've seen it. And it, it's really remarkable. Remarkable, like we talked about earlier, when you are allowing your body to do what it just can do naturally. And it's almost as if you get the food, now you're in that kind of parasympathetic state. So you want to like rest and chill out and relax. Where if you're hungry, it's like you're on the hunt. You're going to have better energy. You're going to be able to do those things unless you are so addicted to carbohydrates that that then becomes your fuel source. And now you have to choose a different strategy. And now you got to be fueling yourself up for these runs with all the goos and the Gatorades and the shot blocks and all the stuff that, you know, we used to have to do to do a 50, 60 mile bike ride or whatever, an 11 mile run is a great example. You just simply don't need that when the body has access to its own stored fat. And I love the way you talked about fasting. Two things that really stood out. One is you wouldn't lead with it. And the second is this will happen naturally if you give it enough time, if you keep eating this way. It's not a forced thing to tell somebody to do a fast. They'll just naturally eat once or twice a day and that will be sufficient. Yes, I, I agree. And I think I think the um, the re part of the thing with the fasting for me is it's I know that if I ate a big breakfast, it would not it would not destroy me. Um, if I have a social reason to have breakfast with a client, I'll have a, a good, healthy, protein rich breakfast and I'll just skip lunch. Um, no problem. But what it does for me is it, it puts some boundaries um, around food. Um, it makes my life simpler, uh, because, you know, if I, if I'm making myself a big breakfast, now I've eaten a meal. Um, I'm probably going to start thinking about food again at lunchtime anyway. And then, you know, then I run the risk of, uh, just sort of creeping back to my old habits. Um, I know from experience that, um, well, first of all, I know at dinner time I eat because I know that's going to set me up for the next day. If in, in the old days I, ha I lacked discipline and if I wasn't hungry for some reason, and usually I was, but I would sometimes, you know, skip a meal, go to sleep if I was tired, wake up the next morning or in the middle of the night and get a snack. And then you have no, no um, like sort of structure to your life by not even thinking about food until afternoon. There's, there's just some structure and um, I basically eat two meals a day. I don't, um, I, I, I don't completely avoid, I guess, um, um, you know, something in between. But if I do eat something between lunch and dinner, it's it's going to be, um, you know, like a very protein rich uh, snack, um, and you, you know, maybe hard boiled egg or maybe um, I, I I have a I have a um, a weekly email. Um, my biggest comeback email and one of my sponsors is uh, Simply Snacking, which makes uh, beef and chicken snacks. And that's one of my favorite things uh, for that between meal thing. It's like, you know, very high protein, low, low fat and easy to take anywhere. But I'll also bring like a little baggie with uh, maybe some leftover steak or some leftover chicken or a couple of hard boiled eggs in a cold pack. And, you know, if I'm out on the run or on, on the road or something like that, you know, just avoid getting in situations where you, um, you know, you get hungry. <laughs> I was, I was at a, I, I went for a run a couple of a month or so ago and I hadn't eaten. And I ended up going to this graduation party where they had nothing food wise, except for one thing. And that was a pizza truck. And they, they had laid out on a table, like 15 or 20 different types of pizza. And I was, my plan was to just not eat during this party. And all of a sudden I lost my self-control and I, 
ended up having 13 pieces of pizza. <laughs> That's um, amazing. I, I, I went crazy. I like, I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't stop. And, uh, fortunately the next day I got back on track, but, uh, it was damn good pizza. <laughs> and, uh, I try to avoid letting myself get into situations like that. Um, but every now and then I cave, <laughs> go big, go hard in the paint. <laughs> that's great. I love that. Even bad pizza is good. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So I do want to talk a little bit about the cancer diagnosis. This is pretty, um, unique that you got to go through that experience. And this was after you had started to change your diet. Is that correct? Yes. I had reached my goal weight in, uh, I think, uh, July of 2018. So we're just about four years ago. I had, I, I discovered a lump in my neck and I had made an appointment with my doctor. I didn't think it was something serious, real stupid. If you ever discover a lump in your neck, uh, I would advise you to get the first appointment possible. Um, uh, you know, get down to the doctor like today, but my appointment was uh, for the third week of August. So I went through the summer, um, you know, the rest of July and a couple of weeks into August, uh, you know, waiting for my appointment. I thought it was like a swollen gland or something like that. And I went in for the appointment and I thought that the doctor was going to compliment me on my huge amount of weight loss and my health. And, you know, she was impressed to some extent, but uh, she looked at my neck and, uh, you know, I, I pointed it out to her and all of a sudden I could tell by the look in her eyes that um, she thought there was something concerning going on. And I, and I, I, I left, uh, she told me that I needed to get some tests done. Um, and I left the appointment. And I think it was like later that day, she called me personally and told me that I, I kind of needed to go get a test. Like, I think it was the next morning. And, you know, my wife who, is she works for a hospital was um a lot more concerned than I was rightfully so and uh so I went and got a a cat scan and and it turned out that you know they needed to schedule me to take you know do surgery to get rid of what was in my neck and do a biopsy and all this stuff and things kind of spiraled pretty quickly and uh um let's see i i get i got my it, it was it was at least it was like a few weeks later that I actually got the the diagnosis that I had cancer. I can't remember the whole sequence. I, they took the, the, they did, they did surgery a couple of weeks after that first scan. Um, they took it out. And then a few days later, I, I got a phone call from the doctor and said, you have cancer. We have to, you know, start scheduling you for, for uh, follow-up stuff like that. And another cat, uh, another scan. And anyway, it got, it got really heavy because um, turned out that the, um, a whole bunch of stuff lit up in my chest and um they thought that i had that it might have metastasized metastasized to my chest and i spent um a week or so thinking perhaps that um you know that i i was in real bad shape and it turned out that i had um sarcoidosis in my chest which is a different unrelated thing um uh so i you know i i was I, and I ended up going through chemo and radiation to get to treat the cancer and the outcome of that has been good. And, uh, um, they told me that, uh, you know, the, that there's no current sign of cancer and I still go back for follow-ups, but, uh, it, it changed a lot with respect to, um, the things I take for granted in life and, um, how I treat every day. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about that before we do though. Um, were you aware at the time of some of the research that was going on around ketogenic diets or low carbohydrate di diets being helpful as a helpful adjunct with cancer? Yeah, I had, I had heard, I had heard a lot of stuff about that. Um, I gotta be honest. I, I, well, number one, I, I continued to try to eat the same way through my treatments and a lot of people, including some doctors, have suggested that that may have um, been a helpful um, addition to what I was doing with my chemo and radiation. Although I can't say that I know, um, you know how 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 much of an effect that had, but I do think it's, uh, I mean, it's clearly been helpful for my overall health. And I think that um, it, you know, the the condition that I had gotten myself in prior to the um, to the diagnosis was probably helpful 
in, in how I handled the chemotherapy and the radiation. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, it hit me pretty hard, the chemo and the radiation. Um, it, it took a lot of toll on me. I lost a lot of strength, um, but I never completely stopped even going to the gym. Um, there were in the earlier stages, I was still going as often as I could. And, and even in, you know, and within a week or so of my finishing up, I was completely dedicated to getting back all the strength I had lost. Um, so I, I, but I'll never, I'll never forget, um, the, uh, the effect that going through the cancer had on my life. Um, you know, there was a, a time when I thought I wasn't going to have a very much longer to live and just being forced to come to grips with that, um, you know, sort of made me realize that all of our time here is, is limited or finite. And we had really better, um, make the most of every day that we have. I know that sounds cliche, but, um, you know, what's the point of living a long, um, life that isn't of high quality. Um, you know, there's people that, uh, make the most of even short periods of time. So, um, just, you know, make the most of every day that you have and, and, you know, enjoy the people that you're with, um, accomplish things that are going to make your life better and help other people. And, uh, and that's really what I try to live by every day. Yeah. Um, are you, are you familiar with the drive podcast with Peter Atia? I am. Okay. I've listened to some of those episodes. My, so, it's yeah. my favorite, my favorite podcast. I never miss an episode. And this week, really good timing for this conversation. They re-aired an interview that he did in 2019 with a guy who's kind of talking about the best plane ride he ever took. And it was a very short plane ride because he was on the plane. I believe it was American Airlines that was dumped into the Hudson River with Captain, you know, Sully, who, who saved it them and and he he describes what it was like to be in the plane and big bang they're four thousand feet i think up big bang the engine is lost a little bit of chaos but everything's still pretty calm and then the call comes out from the captain that says brace for impact and he knows all of a sudden that he's going to die he he, he just knows there's no other way out he, he wasn't afraid he um he wasn't it was more of like a sadness. He felt like a little bit of regret or like sadness and like, wow, I'm not going to see my kids grow up. I, you know, did I waste an opportunity to watch a sunset or a sunrise? And, you know, we all know what happened with that story. It, you know, the plane crashed, but nobody died. Everybody was was fine. And he, he even flew home later that night, which I thought was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but he got back on a plane that exact day. And from that day forward, he was completely changed. And one of the concepts he talked about was collecting bad wines. And the way he described it is like, when I, when I buy whatever wine that I have, when somebody comes over, um, I, we use the best wine. If it's a Tuesday night, that's an occasion and we're going to use the best wine. And so I have this collection of really bad wines because we're always using the good wines and he never takes those things for granted anymore, or at least tries not to. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm curious if you can expound on that a little bit and, and how that really has affected your day to day and what things you just appreciate a lot more than you used to. Yeah, that's I, I got to listen to that episode because um, I mean, like, I wish I could articulate it better. I remember driving when we sat after after the surgery and the biopsy and then the the scan where they they found the the, the uh, scan lighting up in my chest. The doctor basically looked at me and my wife and said, we found some disturbing things in your chest. And I, you know, from talking to him, I could tell that he thought that it probably meant that the cancer had metastasized to my chest. And he said, if the cancer has metastasized to your chest, um, well, he said it the other way around. He said, he said, if the cancer has, if it turns out that there's some other reason why the scan is lighting up, we can treat your cancer. And then he said, if it turns out that it's metastasized to your chest, and then he literally like stopped talking. He it, the the words just stopped. It was like he didn't he didn't finish. Or if he did finish, I never heard. He basically was like, "That is it." And I I heard I I heard what he said. I I I knew what that meant. And my wife and I we like all I remember is walking out of the doctor's office, thinking that my life was like coming to some sort of an end. But at the same time. I started thinking like, 
it was almost like this sense of urgency, like I've got to get my shit together. I've got to figure out how to make the most of what I have left. And, and I liked that that was my reaction because it wasn't one of pity. It was one of like, I've got to work faster to figure out how to make some sort of sense of what I have left. And now I've, you know, every, all these extra years that I have um, are like complete bonus in my mind when I think back to that day. And I'm like, oh man, like what kind of fool would I be to not figure out how to take advantage of that? So, you know, like there's this, and I, I remember, well, coming back, I think, I think it was, it was a Friday and I used to love photographing high school football games. And there was a football game that night. And my first thought was like, I was going to just sit around the house moping. And then I said, heck with that, I'm going to the football game and I'm going to photograph the football game. I love doing that. And I went to the football game and I remember thinking at times, like I was, I was taking pictures, getting some great action shots on the sideline of this football game. And then at other times between plays, like I, I could, my, I would just completely blank out. And I, and I was thinking about what had happened that day. And then at times the crowd would get loud and then it would just become completely silent. And I, and I was just like in this other world and just thinking about, um, you know, anyway, the, but I, I just never, I never, um, I realized that you, you've just got to take every day and you've got to make the most of it. And so regardless of what happens in life, I think I can relate to your plane crash, the plane crash story. It's like you, you, you're going to be faced with things. We're all going to come to an end at some point. Let's just make the most of it. And that's kind of the, the way I treat every, every day now. Man, I, dude, I absolutely love that. I don't know any other questions that I could ask <laughs> to end this podcast. I think that's a wonderful message. And I just look at you and your life and the things you've learned along the way and how you were able to turn your health around, how you're able to really enjoy life and, and to be able to share. I mean, your weekly newsletter is such a great example of you just for no other reason. You, I, I see no other benefit that you would get other than you're just sharing information that you're learning to try to help other people. And I, again, if we go back to where do we find the good coaches, where do we find the people we can trust that that's very high up on my list of, 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 of finding the, the correct people. They're the ones that are willing to share. They're the ones that are willing to ask more questions are the ones that are willing to say, I don't exactly have the answer, but here are the things that I've learned. And, and that desire to help, I, I think is absolutely wonderful. Chris, this has been such an amazing conversation. Where can people go to find you and connect with you in your work uh, the best way to, to find me is on twitter and my handle is uh biggest comeback and in my bio is a link to my weekly newsletter the biggest comeback newsletter um and that goes out usually every sunday or monday um and i've been doing it for two years now and uh it's it's and i, I also i you can uh, you can respond to the email um comes right to my personal email and I um, I get a lot of uh, reader feedback and I respond to every email. So that's really the two ways to get in touch with me. That's awesome. I love that. We will definitely link to that in the show notes. I have had monthly newsletter on my to-do list for several months. I've been resisting it like crazy. Yesterday, I finally put episode one of our monthly newsletter out there and it took a lot of work and a lot of overcoming resistance. And I felt proud to do once a month. So to do weekly, I think is absolutely awesome. Um, and it's so cool to know that people can message you and you'll reach back out to them. That doesn't surprise me at all knowing you. Chris Cornell, like I said, such an amazing conversation. Thank you so very much for your life lessons and thank you for turning around and sharing that message with others in such a nice and kind way we really appreciate that and we appreciate you and the time you took to be on our show today thank you it was an honor to be on your show and uh, very good to talk to you absolutely it was an honor to host you and this has been another episode of balanced body radio
As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We're also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Balanced Body Radio.